When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into episode 297 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR Podcast Network, presented by Justice Dental today. Uh, an interesting show, I probably the best way to put it. Uh, the sky is falling, apparently, for some folks, and uh, we got to get to the bottom of this following Kentucky's 80-73 to loss against UNC Wilmington at home. We will talk about what that means whether or not we should be panicking about this and some other updates. We will talk about Aaron Bradshaw's return, the latest with Ugan Onyenso, what the heck is going on with Big Z. We'll talk about all of that and more. But before we get started, a quick message from our friends at Justice Dental. Sources say is presented by the great team at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling or texting 859 543 0700, Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team. Look forward to seeing you soon. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very, very happy to be joined once again by the king of Lexington High School basketball, KHSAA legend, Sean Smith, coming off an unbelievable freaking win in Louisville over a, a, a powerhouse, a national powerhouse. Everybody doubted your ability to go in there and get and get that victory, but you uh, looked that narrative right in the face and said, forget that, and pulled off the victory. Sean, it was a great weekend watching you coach basketball. Man, that was a good win. That was a really good win. Uh, like you said, a powerhouse program out of Maryland, and uh, we went blow for blow with them, and then we delivered the knockout punch in the final four minutes. And uh, my voice, I thought it was my voice going away after Sunday, but I actually ended up catching a cold. The last couple of days, so uh, bear with me through the next hour. If I, if I sound like I can barely talk, it's because my head feels like it weighs a thousand pounds right now. We're going to chalk it up to an unbelievable X's and O performance on the Frederick Douglass bench. It was a blast. Like Coach Cal was there, uh, Orlando Antigua, Chin Coleman, they were there to watch Jaden Quains, who did not play, but got to meet and greet with him. That part was cool. Uh, got to see AJ DeBansa, uh, Tyron Stokes. Uh, it was a great recruiting event. I, I was I was happy to be a part of it. We had Jaden on last week to preview uh, it. If you missed that interview, he had a great great interview. I, we appreciated him coming on. Gave us so much good stuff. When he wasn't holding his speaker, I talked to his dad at, at, at the event, and I was like, "Bro, like the it would have been so much better had he just not covered up the speaker for like that five minute stretch." But we got to figure it out. Uh, appreciate him coming on, man. He's a blast, and Kentucky is is thrilled to have him as a part of this program. We're obviously thrilled as well. Great kid, great family. We are uh, thrilled about the prodigy Jaden Queens, as Coach Cal likes to call him. But um, that's not why we're here. We are here to get to the bottom of a very up and down week for Kentucky basketball. Like, I don't know if you could have polar opposite, like further polar op- opposites of how things, the, the mood of the fan base leaving Miami, a top 10 win, beat the brakes off of them at Rupp Arena. People thought this was a national title contender. Lock up number nine, we're ready to go. And then immediately followed that up with a mid-major loss against UNC Wilmington. Uh, 
we got to talk panic meter. We got to talk what the vibe of the fan base is right now because I really wasn't pleased with the reaction. Like, I, I get it. I understand that you don't lose to these types of programs when you're the University of Kentucky. I totally understand that. But I think they also lost all context behind everything else that happened leading up to that point and understanding that this is still a very young group that is dealing with a lot of different variables and different types of adversity. And, and like we were going like what we had seen leading up to that point was not sustainable to where you beat every team top 10 team you play by 20 points. That wasn't sustainable. You were going to get some letdown performances and probably lose a, a couple may even lose a couple here from, from, you know, moving forward that we always talk about that possibility, Sean, but I didn't expect it to be the sky is falling in a way that we saw after the UNC Wilmington loss. And I think that's what we're here to talk about why we shouldn't be chicken little uh, here with this fan base and understand that there's still a long, long, long runway for this group to take off. Um, we haven't even really talked about it. I don't know if that's if we're sharing the same thoughts. You could have a completely uh, different opinion. I'd love to hear it. But that was just kind of my my feel. I was not as down after the loss as I think most people were. You, you know I've not thought about it anymore since Saturday. Like, not saying it's not significant because obviously you expected them to, after they beat Miami, I expected this to be a top 10 team going into this week but then you actually go backwards. You don't go forwards. And we'll get into the net rankings and everything, but from, from overall, my panic meter is not high right now. Like, I'm, I'm not panicking with what Kentucky is because I, I can't do what I did last Tuesday night and say this is the, the, the bet looks like the best team in college basketball and then four days later kind of backtrack just because of a result. Like, from what we had seen of Kentucky to that point on Saturday – it looked like one of the four best teams in college basketball. There were some factors, I think, that went into Saturday. One, you're without your point guard. So your rotation's already changing. Reed moves into the starting lineup. Then you add in Aaron Bradshaw. Those are two new dynamics that had not been in the mix. And I thought it was just enough to kind of throw you off rhythm. Plus, what I said on last week's episode, it was the first time you're going to have all the positive press clippings about you. And let's see how you respond. And, and Jack, it goes kind of back to what I've said all, all summer and all fall. I just don't see how at least two of these guards don't play well on the same night. DJ would have been the second guard. I think he would have played well. So that, that, that just shows you that Kentucky needs the depth. It needs all of its guys healthy. For Bradshaw's first game back, it would have, I think it would have gone smoother had DJ been healthy and able to play. I think you would have had at least a combination of some guys. but it, and, and look, he didn't play a ton of minutes, but it's enough that leading up to those those practices, leading up to that game, there were some different looks that Kentucky hadn't been going to since June with working him in. So I, I just thought it was a weird day. Uh, you combine that with a team that that shot, shot a lot of threes, made a lot of threes, and Kentucky got off to a slow start, and it proved to be a disaster. They were able to battle back against St. Joe's and in some other games. They just couldn't overcome it Saturday. I I thought Cal uh, in his po- in his radio show Monday evening really kind of drove the point home because I felt crazy, man. Like when the game ended, I told you I was like, "Is it weird that I don't really feel 
the way I did even after Evansville. Like I remember after that Evansville loss going, this isn't Kentucky basketball. We don't lose to that those types of teams. This is embarrassing. The sky is falling. We're not going to win anything. This is, you know, I, I remember feeling that emotion and understanding, you know, that being proven wrong by the end of the year when they won the league by three games. And I don't know if it was just that mindset and thought just kind of kept creeping back in my head afterward. Or in, what did I say to you watching Aaron Bradshaw warm up? on the side of the court as, as the warmup was happening. And we kind of said, yeah, UNC Wilmington's is, it's a tough group. You know, they got some stuff. I said, I really don't even care what the result is tonight because I'm, I'm taking in this process and knowing that they're going to try to muck things up. That's exactly what UNC Wilmington did. They try to throw some weird stuff at you, full court press, try to slow you down and, and not turn into it. They, they, they played to this, their own scouting report and to their style impeccably. And you just so happen to get the most selfish version of this team, as Cal put it, 45 possessions of zero or one pass in the game, Cal said uh, in, his, in his radio show. The ball movement, st- the ball stuck, the zipping around that we had seen leading up to that point in the one mores and two mores and three mores, that just did not exist. And you got a lot of kind of what we saw last year where it was guys kind of standing around the ball, not moving and settling for bad shots. And that doesn't just disappear over the course of five days. You don't just magically wake up and be a trash basketball player. Like that doesn't just happen. And it was all self-inflicted. Like it was all, Hey, if we had just moved the ball and played with our pace and, and the rhythm that we had played with DJ or not, they, it probably would have been an ugly win, but they would have won nonetheless. Like it was an ugly game that should have been won, but has no bearing long term for me whatsoever. Like I do not think that that changes Kentucky's chances in the slightest about going to a Final Four. Not at all. It, it doesn't. The only thing it changes is your, your resume when it comes down to it, and we still don't know what that's going to look like. I know. I know we have the net rankings now, and and what we thought was probably a solid resume in non-conference is actually not a solid resume right now because Miami is, is not high in the net. So Kentucky doesn't have a quad one win on its resume yet. We thought it got one it rough and it's going to take a lot for it to be one. It has to get to the top 30 and it's nowhere close to that close to that number. So, but for, for the overall, what we're looking at though, on the court, like my expectations of what this team can do have not, hasn't changed. Like I still think this is one of the best teams in college basketball when they're when they're clicking and they're all together, and you're going to have some some kind of a, a transition here with with trying to work Bradshaw into this. Like this is a completely new thing. I, I thought I thought in the moments that he was in the game the other day, especially when they played uh, played him alongside Trey, I just thought Kentucky didn't really know what it wanted to do, and there was a lot of this on the block. You know, I saw a hand up and, and, and trying to post and things like that. And I was like, you know, like, it, it's just going to take some time. It's going to take some time to work him in. It's going to take some time to kind of see what the role will be and, and what the minutes will look like. But overall, Jack, you, you mentioned the ball movement and the one mores and the things that were non-existent in this game. The, the three-point attempts are down, which tells you the ball's not moving too. So those, those numbers have – I think what they shoot overall from three Saturday, what was the total attempts? It was nowhere near 
their season average. I think the last two games have actually been the lowest attempts on the year by a significant margin, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they were five for 17. Yeah. I mean, this is a team that we had seen shooting right at 30 a game. They didn't reach that against Miami too, but they got a ton of points in the paint. So, and then uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically, they were at their average number of turnovers, I think, in the first half. Oh, beat it, so like, yeah. They, they had nine at halftime. So they were turning the ball over, which we hadn't seen them play, do all year. And then they weren't moving the basketball. The assist numbers were down. Like, it was a combination of a lot of things. They got to get better defensively. They have to if they if they want to do something. But I know a lot of people have said, well, at some point the shots aren't going to be falling. I don't even know if it was that. Like, we didn't really see them take – a lot of threes like or nothing like that. It was just a lot of – I don't know if Kentucky thought they could lose that game. And then when it got to a certain point, when they did lock in and defend, UNC Wilmington hit tough shots. They did. Yeah, they played and, with their food. They, they played with their food far too long, knowing that, hey, this is going to be an ugly game. They're going to try to muck things up, but our talent is going to shine through – even if we win ugly, it's still going to be a win. We're going to be able to work through Bradshaw. We're going to be able to figure out Reed starting at point guard. Like, I, I do agree that it was kind of a mental preparedness that just wasn't where it needed to be, and that showed in their creativity offensively and, and the fact that it just they didn't run anything. It, it wasn't – it just – the ball stuck. But that number is just – it's wild to me. 45 possessions – with zero or one pass like that's you don't win any basketball game that way. I don't care if it's a mid major or against the number one team in the country that that is point blank, blank period how you lose a basketball game. This team, as we talked about that, that kind of is the story of what we talked about with this team and where our uh, where when we thought that this team was going to struggle going into the year when we just kind of knew what we knew about these guys as individual talents as recruits, a lot of that stuff kind of shined through in that loss where we said, okay, well, individually they all have little flaws and Cal went in on all of them. And that was kind of another point of, uh, of conversation after the game about Cal singling out Reed and how it became kind of this big, Cal versus Reed thing, which I just don't think is fair at all because he singled out Justin. He singled out Antonio. He singled out basically everybody on the floor, Rob. I mean, he, he singled out everybody, but the Reed quote is what kind of spread like wildfire, but everybody was at fault. It was everybody playing the worst version of themselves, most of that revolving around unselfishness or being, you know, selfishness and boxing out and like little things, like just get throwing a hip on somebody. It, it, it was so uncharacteristic of this team that like I don't want to say you just throw that tape away but it kind of gets to that point where you're like what what did we really learn about this team that we didn't know about them already besides we got to pass the damn ball like I didn't personally that I think that's where it came from is because we've seen this team play it, it wasn't that we were getting these clean shots and we were just missing or what happens when we do miss shots or what happens with you know if our defense is continue, like we have seen all of that already, and they've overcome it tenfold. So it just – it does not bother me the way I thought it was. Defense has to improve. Rebounding has to improve. Ball movement has to get back to what, what they were before, and they will be completely fine. 
And I think, yes, I do think DJ was a big part of it. Again, he only played 10 minutes against Miami, so it's not an excuse. It was just a lot of, I, I wrote this in my, my post-game column. It was, column. it was a lot of news, as you talked about. Reed stepping in, Bradshaw coming in for the first time, DJ being out, not having that kind of go-to guy, and playing on the new floor and having it kind of be the glitz and glamour of, ooh, the 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 freshness and the, you know, the, the brand-new appeal. All of that stuff kind of played a part in their mentality that you could clearly see when that ball was tipped and they weren't where they needed to be. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to be where they need to be on Saturday or the following Saturday against North Carolina. Like, it, it, I don't know. It's just – they're fine. And they will be fine. And and like I said, I've, I've always said it, that when you have this combination of guard play, I always expect two of them to play well. And when you look at the season so far – when all of them have been available, two of them have played well. And, you know, I, I'm not saying – Antonio Reeves didn't play awful. Like, I know he, he still – you know, I think he got what to 14 points, but, I mean, that's that's certainly not his best effort. Reed scored the ball. He he tried, and, and I felt like he tried to do everything he could to help Kentucky win. Rob Dillingham had by far the worst game of the season. I think one and nine shooting, he turned it over. He He wasn't good. He wasn't efficient. That that's going to happen. There's going to be a night where Reed doesn't play well, but then when DJ's healthy, it might be DJ and Rob that night. So, two of these guys playing well, Kentucky can win. When one of them plays well, and you get, and you only got one from the backcourt, now you're putting yourself in a pretty bad spot and a tough spot to win, regardless of who you're playing. What did you think of Cal's response in practice Monday? It was very unique. Uh, Cal said he went old school, that he took the rims away, like completely. You were not physically able to make shots. Um, he basically said, we're going to do nothing but wall sits and old-fashioned suicides and like basically 1950s basketball training. That's how, that's how they went back to the basics but with a with an emphasis on defense and rebounding that with the lack of rim the only way you could score was by rebounding the basketball that you got a certain number of points for offensive rebounds and a certain number of points for defensive rebounds and that's how you won the game um huge point of emphasis on defense and you know lane slides and and those he said that the reason he was like have you ever done a lane uh, have you ever done a a wall sit have you ever done wall sits until your legs were quivering? That's what I made my team do. You know why I did that? Because these guys aren't getting down in defensive stance. Again, fundamentally sound things that you they should be doing at this stage that they're just not, that Cal is going back to the basics with that and pushing them to their – he said, I'll be totally honest, these games have gotten harder than the practices, and that is not how it should be at Kentucky. When you have Reed Shepard guarding Rob Dillingham and DJ Wagner guarding Justin Edwards and all of those mix and matches, there's no excuse for those two battles to be tougher than or easier than what it's going to be in 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 the game. The game should be against UNC Wilmington should be night and day. No matter whether you have DJ or not, it should not that it the, the difficulty level should be infinitely tougher in practice 
And he said that we got we let that get away from us. In in recent memory this year, the games have been harder than practices have been for us. And we got to get that figured out and get that flipped. And he basically said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure these practices are harder so the games become easier for these guys. I think it was the old school Cal approach is exactly what this team needed, getting back to the fundamentals of fundamental defense, fundamental de- uh, rebounding, because I think that is just how close they are away. Once they get those those foundational things set, everything else will come easily for them. It will. And and I think getting an edge about you, I think Kentucky played with an edge up until Saturday. I thought they, they played kind of with a chip on their shoulder and like they had something to prove when they didn't have a five-man. Because it was, okay, how, how's Kentucky going to play with Kansas? How's Kentucky going to beat Miami? There was always a challenge. And then I thought after just – scoring 95 points and and just running Miami off your home floor, there was a chance that you could come out and have a letdown. And then you're, you're down a guy and it's, and then you're working a new guy in. It's, it's easy to kind of fall into that and Kentucky fell victim to it. And I I think that it was one of those things where you're, you're, you're kind of ease up, you kind of relax, you get Jeff Goodman coming out and saying, now you're a final four team. You get other guys saying Kentucky's a final four team. That's the first time we'd heard that. And these guys hear it. They see it. They're on social media. Cal sees it like everybody sees it. But getting back to that and and finding an edge and getting a toughness about you in practice, and and I like it because this team is going to have to get better on the defensive end. But when it comes to Ken Palm and things like that, Jack, I'm probably not even going to have discussions about it again until we get to January just because there's not enough there yet. So a week ago, Kentucky was third in the country in offensive efficiency in Ken Palm. After one more game, they're at 10. That's how much it changed in seven days. So there's just not enough there. you got to cycle out all the stuff like from last season too. Like you need to get into late December, early January into conference play before I start really seeing what those numbers are. Do I think that this team's going to end up finishing 64th in the country in defensive efficiency? No. I don't. Do they get top 20? I don't know. I think the offense is obviously going to stay top 20. I think the defense will creep towards it, but I just don't know how high. But it will not be 64. They will get better on that in the floor as they work these guys in. But I think the one thing that has shocked me is just how poorly they guard the basketball and contain straight line drives. Because I thought without a big, there would be more emphasis on having to guard the basketball because they didn't have the rim protector or the shot blocker on the back end. Back end. But I think that they will get better and better at that. I think that's something that Cal's going to focus on. And what it's going to come down to at some point, Jack, is if you can't guard the ball, you can't play. And Cal's got plenty of dudes that he doesn't want to shrink this and condense, condense it to six or seven guys. But if he has to, and those are the guys that defend, we know he will shrink it to six or seven guys. And I I did think it was funny that with so much that was said about Reed and that comment uh, about Reed giving up, you know, the Ural's favorite player of all time, giving up 17 straight line drives or whatever, he responded by saying, A, that he did everything against UNC Willington. Um but he said at the end of the game, he was playing to win the game. It wasn't like he was playing not to lose. He did everything. The one kid made that one jumper on him, but I thought he did some good stuff. He's playing good. Like he said, 
everybody is getting beat on. He said, we just had guys, some guys not guarding. Like he said, the reason why Reed had to play as many minutes as he did is because there were other guys that weren't guarding. So Reed was kind of the one guy that you could lean on, even if he was still struggling. So it was kind of a roundabout way of saying, yeah, he struggled and he is our best player right now, but even that isn't good enough. We have to collectively as a group be better at this one thing. We cannot continue to keep our hips loose and getting beat straight line drives the way that we have. Like it, you, you, we, we have to break through as a collective unit, not just as, as one. And I think everybody got lost in the Reed Shepherd sauce and, and kind of lost sight of that. He was saying that the entire group, even our best player was struggling because that meant the entire group was struggling. So it, it, I think it got blown way, way, way out of proportion and very unnecessary, but um, that's the nature of the beast. It's Kentucky basketball and a hall of fame coach that isn't, has a microphone in front of his face quite often. And, uh, sometimes that's just the, the way things go. Uh, if there is one concern I have, Sean, um, Real Deal 92 says, is it time to panic with Justin Edwards? On the flip side, everybody talking about Reed's comments um, or Cal's comments about Reed. If anything, I think he's been harder on Justin Edwards and kind of continues to say his game prep has not been what it needs to be and said it after the Marshall game, said it after the St. Joe's game that, you know, there's, there's obviously something in there with him and we're trying to get that out of him, but he also has to do his end, uh, you know, hold up his end of the, of the bargain, especially in terms of game prep and, you know, doing what it takes to stay mentally locked in to reach the best version of yourself. And Cal basically point blank period said that he's just not providing that right now. How concerned are you with Justin at this point breaking through? He has dropped 13 in the latest uh, mock draft. ESPN's latest mock draft uh, was the chosen son, top five, top three, potentially number one pick uh, throughout the offseason. Now losing kind of that buzz of being a potential top five guy. Where do things stand with Justin? What, what What is the breakthrough with him? And do you see that being a possibility? I've, I've told you since the beginning that I was kind of worried about what his progression would look like just because I just don't think anything comes easy to him with his game right now. Like he doesn't consistently knock down shots. Like he's he's not making a ton of plays defensively. Like he, he's not finishing through contact and things in transition. Like how many times this year, and it's frustrating because we know he can finish, but how many times have we watched him in traffic and the ball just fly like 15 feet in the air? I've it's been attacking. An, it's inexplicable. Like I look at you every single time and go, "How? Like, what? 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 Like, is it small hands? Did he just eat popcorn from the popcorn and Coke machine that we deal with in the media room? Like, how? It makes no sense. How it just it just slips every single time it slips. And I'm I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what. What is what is his go-to? Like, what is his role going to be at some point in, in things? Because it – now, I did say that his progression would take the longest to get there. That I when we were doing the whole who's going to figure it out sooner, DJ or, or Justin, it was easy – the easy answer was DJ. DJ has the ball in his hands. He thrives off that. Do I think Justin will get some things figured out? Yes. 
But I think the expectations of being where he was placed in the NBA draft projections and things like that, it's going to maybe make what the end result ends up being maybe not look as good. But I think Justin's still a solid player. I just don't know if he's living up to the top five pick and stuff like that. Like at this point, he hasn't. And that's okay. He's on his own timeline here. He's on his own path. But he, to me, it just looks like nothing is coming easy to him. And that's so frustrating because there's been some guys in this program that progressed slowly, but they still did one thing that kind of stood out. Right now, Cal's been calling out, just go get offensive rebounds. Go to the glass. Like, we expected, and I know a lot of people probably expected him kind of be pushing to be Kentucky's leading scorer at times and kind of a guy that they play through. You haven't got to that. It's still early. It's still early December. There's still plenty of basketball to play. But I'm not overly concerned. I'm just a little kind of like maybe it's time to kind of dial back some expectations for him. Thankfully, you have enough in the backcourt that is going to carry you that he has time to figure it out as you go throughout the course of the season. But if they if they want to do what they want to do, he's going to end up having to be to be a significant step up by the time you get to conference play and beyond. And with his body and his frame, Jack, like you think that that's a guy that would finish really well in transition and could be disruptive on the defensive end of the floor too. If anything, to take the spotlight off of him and so people will stop top five, top five, top five, top fiving him, which we have said on the show is not fair to him. And it never made sense because that's just not who he is as a basketball player. It's never, you know, we've said the Batman Robin comparison 45 times on the show. It, it just, it, it was, it, it was weird where that all came from. I get it. He's a smooth lefty. His shot looks pretty. It's a, you know, he, he looks nice as a basketball player, and the, the fluidity is enjoyable with him. And I could see how an NBA scout could look at that and go, ah, oh, that's going to translate. Like he has the physical tools that translate. And I do think to his credit, a lot of it is mental. Like you, he didn't used to like fumble the ball out of bounds and lose it going up. One simple tap on the wrist knocks it out. Like the, he, that's never been his game. He's always, he's always been a nice finisher, a strong finisher, a willing long rangey finisher, up, up, up over guys around guys like he's had that in, in, in his arsenal and we've seen it in spurts some of his finishes around the basket have been sick like I they're on the same accord we have looked at each other as many times as he's fumbled out of bounds where he's finished through somebody's chest and kind of use his long arms to finish you know through and over and we've gone damn, that's a dog. And he like, that's when he looks at the camera or goes in, you know, the, the opponent's face and snarls and gets after it. And we're like, there, that's it. Go like use that. Don't float on the perimeter and try to get into your game as a three point catch and shoot specialist. You don't take five threes a game. That's not who you are. Let the easy stuff come to you and then go out. But the easy stuff also includes transition buckets. We can't just be fumbling the ball and missing dunks. Like, well, you that's included in that. You mentioned how it's a mental thing. And, th- and this is something that I've kind of, you know, experienced over the, the course of my coaching career. And then I, I work on with, with player development with a lot of players that I've coached is a lot of it is mental. And, and when you're thinking about contact, your, your hand wants to stop. 
And it's it's usually you see it in a player's weak hand. It's in their offhand. When they're absorbing contact, you'll see a player lose the basketball. It's not because they can't handle the basketball. It's because that their mind is literally thinking about the contact and they're not doing two things at once. They're not absorbing it and maintaining a dribble. And that could be a little bit of it too, is maybe there needs to be some some focus on some drill work and some things to, to where he he's able to finish through contact and, and stuff like that. But I, I don't know. Like it's it's frustrating because when you look at his frame and he is one of the bigger bodies on this team, you know, finishing in transition should be an, an elite part of his game. And and I still think that that him coming off some and curling off some action stuff and getting downhill into a little floater from seven, eight feet off two feet, that's something that I could see him doing too. Like he will get better. And I think that 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 his progression will you'll eventually see him start to take off. It's just taking him a little bit longer to get off the ground. And I, I think I said this when the season started that his was going to take the longest to get there because he was the one that just didn't he, – he's the one that doesn't really know what he is and how he wants – like the other guys have, have been ball-dominant guys their entire life. Justin's still trying to transition and figure out how, how he wants to play, and I think Cal's still transitioning too and figuring out how they want Justin to play. Now, the one thing that I think did get answered is Reed Shepard's going to be the guy – that I think that they start to play through late in games. I think Reed with the ball in his hands is going to be something the next time Kentucky's in a close game, maybe it's against North Carolina in a couple of weeks. Who knows the way the thing goes? Maybe it's against Penn this Saturday. But Reed Shepard, to me, with the ball late in games is kind of an, a thing that we're getting here. I trust him with the basketball. And I do want to add – Cal's quote, and we just had some guys not guarding. Um, I think Justin, if anything, I was more disappointed in his defensive effort and that one too. I mean, they were straight, I mean, almost exclusively ISO ball, getting switches and, and getting Justin in one-on-ones and basically just saying, I'm going to go score on you. And a lot of those late buckets came in a direct one-on-one with with Justin and and Again, he's always been known as a high-level potential defender a lot, mostly, and we, we talked about this with, with him as a recruit. I thought he was a little bit overrated as an on-ball defender, but he was extremely, extremely productive jumping the passing lanes and turning those into transition buckets the other way. We haven't seen a lot of that. Like that, I think that's the part that we're missing, and, and maybe that's something that helps unlock his confidence. Maybe it does just take him to go punch it on somebody's head and make him realize, ah, there it is. Like sometimes it is as simple as something like that. But on ball defense has been an issue. And, and I'm hoping that some of these old school wall sit, uh, lane slide, you know, the, the old school stuff that Cal's doing, I hope uh, he is at the top of that priority list of getting that sorted out. Because like we saw with Oscar last year, that's on tape. Like people are now seeing that you could, you can exposing and again everybody's getting beat off the dribble but he was kind of one of the main culprits at the end of the at the end of that game and I really hope that doesn't turn into a thing or he's going to be played off the court like that's something Cal said we didn't have any other options besides Reed because everybody else was getting absolutely cooked like Reed got kind of sort of cooked but there were other guys getting really torched and we we I think defense will be what leads to offensive confidence for Justin. And that's kind of how he's always been. So I'm hoping we get a breakthrough, the homecoming. You could not ask for better timing with him. He gets to go home, play in front of friends, family, all that. 
this could be a nice layup opportunity. No, no pun intended with the missing and fumbling layups, but good, good, good opportunity for him going back home to Philly. We have a bigger issue. What? It finally happened. I got a text that says LOL to your Kroger poster behind you and Jack's big posters behind him. I mean, <laughs> is what it is. I people mean, need leave, people need to leave my Kroger poster alone. I'm going to go get like four more. Just put them all behind me here. <laughs> just just do like different different sports, different whatever you got to do. I like my setup, man. I I, I know some people no, are right. hating, hating on it. Not everybody gets the craft center behind them on their on their podcast. But nah, mine's coming. Merry Christmas to everybody at some point. Because uh, we're, we're gonna get you looking good. We're gonna get out oh, of yeah. yeah, it's oh, it's yeah. gonna it's gonna be good. But I, I just <laughs> thought that was funny. I had to share. Good episode. If you see me laughing, that's why I was laughing. Oh, good lord. All right, uh, we gotta knock out some ads real quick. NBA and college basketball season are back. Join FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options included. Spreads, spreads, uh, player props, over-unders, and more, Sean. We've been crushing it with uh, our, our FanDuel uh, predictions and picks ahead of games, we've just like, we, we, we hit on the Kansas game. And then since then we've been like one leg off since then, but we're right there. If anything, like just go singles with what, what uh, parlay bets we were doing and you'd be up significantly with, with us. So uh, we're, we're following this thing closely. We're crushing it with it, but we just, we're like, we're right there on the home run. Like we've been hitting single after single after single. I'm ready for the, the, the big splash. So maybe we'll get that uh, this weekend with Penn. The real one that we're very, very excited for is that UNC trip. I'm going down to Atlanta for that. I'm going to be all, all in with that one. That one I am very, very excited for, Sean. But we got to hit one. We're, we're very close, but uh, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. And that's not what we're playing with FanDuel. No, we're not. And uh, we needed one Trey Mitchell rebound a week ago against Miami for mine to hit. We're going to hit one of these pretty soon. But like you said, singles, if you're playing these as singles, you're doing well. So I'm interested to see what we throw out for this weekend because we will, we've not put one out this week, and I'm, I'm sure we'll put something together uh, towards the end of the week. But definitely that week going into the North Carolina matchup, there will be some fun player props and stuff going into that one. And they're starting to to do them with like Rob and Reed. Like I've been seeing that leading up to the games now. Uh, that's what we've been missing. We've just been missing that la- that little juice. We just needed the the go to guys off the bench that that you know kind of move the needle with us a little bit. So we're we're glad that's happening. We'll be uh, throwing one out there ahead of the p- trip to Penn. Uh, Twenty one older in present in Kentucky. First online real money wager only five dollar pregame money line wager required ten dollar first. Deposit required bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bonus bets, which expire seven days after receipt restrictions apply. See terms sportsbook.fanduel.com gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Uh, Sean, let's do one more, and then we'll we'll throw uh, game, game time in there at, at the end. But My Perfect Franchise, the Source State Podcast, is also brought to you by Andy Ludeke and MyPerfectFranchise.net. Andy is a franchise consultant as well as franchise owner and helps people find franchises that fit their skill sets, financial requirements, time to commit, and more. His services are 100% free, and he is here to help. If you have any questions about business ownership, you can learn more. And contact Andy anytime at www.MyPerfectFranchise.net. Sean, number 45 in the net. Your uh, quad ones are back. Your, uh, your your seating systems that you have just fallen absolutely in love with that you're so excited with, with bracketology. Well, not really bracketology, but just the, what, what goes into the resumes. Uh, it's finally here, and it does not favor Kentucky's resume thus far. 45th overall. How much is that? Like, does that phase you? How much room for improvement is there by season's end? I think by my loose count, we have nine quad ones left on the schedule as of today. Ten, uh, I think Gonzaga is 31. So we're one slot away from that being a quad one at home as well. Um, so potentially 10. And I mean, this thing moves and shuffles and, you know, there's there's obviously an op- opportunity for more. But uh, does that change? You know, what, what, what does that mean to you? When you look at it, it, I'm not worried about where they're at right now because if you remember last year when they beat Tennessee on the road, I'm pretty sure they jumped like 20-some spots within a couple of days. So you pick up a win like that and you, you can climb. So you're, you're going to get a chance against North Carolina. But when you just look at it overall, and, and I think it was Phoenix Stevens, that, who's an intern with KSR, that replied it, it was him he said the sean smith quad win quad uh quad win watch has begun basketball season's officially here and uh people that listen to the show they know i've always been about quad one and resume because when it comes down to selection sunday it matters and, and right now here's where kentucky stands they're zero and one in quad one games that losses to kansas they're one and oh in quad two that win is miami and then they're one and one in quad three UNC Wilmington currently a quad three loss. We'll see where that falls by season's end. And then they're four and oh in quad four. So the resume, it's it's kind of it's it's non-existent right now, but there are opportunities on the schedule. I kind of just thought that when you looked at it, I fully expected Miami to be a quad one win when the schedule was put out, and especially when they're number eight in the country. But that's just where the net stands. Like where I'm talking, Kentucky made a huge jump after beating Tennessee. Miami can do the same thing when it gets into ACC play. Like you could see that one be a big jump too. So not it, – it's the same thing I was saying about Ken Palm. When, when these things initially come out, Jack, you I don't pay too much attention to them. I'll start really diving into this thing in January and in conference play where you see it really start to kind of be concrete in what it is. Yeah, I, I and again, the net favors quality wins, I think, more so than it hurts with okay losses. Bad losses are toxic, but you you move up in the net and build the resume with the wins. And that's why my focus right now is entirely on that grouping of 10. We'll see what happens with Miami. And again, we saw last year, Sean, how often did we go – one week, okay. Well, now there are fourteen quad ones, quad one opportunities. Uh oh, this team just lost a stinker, and now that one's out. They're, they've dropped to sixty-five, but this team shot up to thirty-eight, and now that neutral site. Like we've 
we've gone through the mental gymnastics of all of that. And so it's going to be a process no matter what. But all that matters from this point forward when you have dug yourself a little hole that they have. Nobody from start to finish of the show has ever said that this this loss is acceptable. It's not. It's it's a really, really bad loss that has happened. And now we have to move forward with. I am sick and tired of the well, the hist- the history says that now we can't win a national championship because it's never been done before, because that really doesn't matter at all when you build rosters the way John Calipari does. We do not have a precedent with what, in, in this sport, the most loopy, uh, just random sport in, in the world. The, it's fluky. College basketball is fluky. March Madness is fluky. You're not going to tell me that a loss first week first week of December has any bearing on what happens in March. You're just I don't care who it is. I don't care the context. And we have we have if there is a precedent set, it is the Evansville loss or the Evansville loss that turned into that team winning the league by three games. That's all I need to see. Look forward in the schedule. Win. Build a nice little resume early. It starts with that trip to. Uh, Atlanta for that UNC game and the CBS Sports Classic, win that game, make a statement in that one, and then go from there. Just hit singles with this season. We do not have to make up ground immediately. There's a long runway to go. I am not worried in the slightest about building a resume enough. And again, if, if you're not worried about any other team in college basketball, knowing that this team can beat anybody in basketball, what difference does a two versus three seed make? If you're going to, if you are capable of beating anybody in college basketball, seeding doesn't matter. I I am not concerned about the ability to build a solid resume, but now it's on them to make that happen. Yeah, it, it's not as much about seeding as it is about matchups. And, and we know that UNC Wilmington had kind of one of those first-round matchups that can give you trouble. And, and I hate talking about this because we've seen it over and over again. You know, St. Peter's was a, a nightmare matchup for Kentucky, the way that they played. And things when you and UNC Wilmington shot a lot of threes, they had quick guards that could blow by people. That's the recipe for disaster of a first round two versus 15, three versus 14, four versus 13 type game in the NCAA tournament. Those type of teams that are built that way. Now, if anything, losing this one, well, when is, it, that's what it is. And when it comes down to guard play and things like Kentucky's going to have the, you're, you're probably going to be confident in Kentucky getting the job done every single night that they take the floor. But it needs its entire backcourt. It needs to be sharing the basketball. So health and can you know and, and playing unselfish basketball, like you put those things together, and I think this team will be okay when it comes to March. But man, that's such a long ways away. Like we're. There's all of the SEC schedule and some massive non-conference games still on on the schedule, but we called the Miami game a, a big one, and there's been a lot of talk about Villanova and stuff the last few last few weeks and stuff. They're losing a lot of basketball games, and I know Penn. Penn was a team. Penn was one of the three that beat Villanova, correct? Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken. So Villanova, I think, is actually in a tight one with K State right now. So that could be a fourth loss for them. And they, they lost to St. Joe's a week ago. Like, is Villanova any good? I don't know. They beat North Carolina. And North Carolina beat Tennessee. So, it just – what I'm trying to say is college basketball is nuts right now. Purdue lost after running through the Maui field. They lose on the road at Northwestern to start conference play. 
if if Kansas is believed to be one of the best teams in college basketball, Kentucky went wire to wire with them without a five man. So we've seen that Kentucky can beat anyone. If you don't play and another team gets beer muscles, as John Calipari likes to call it, you can get beat. Anybody can get beat. Like college basketball, to me, it, it doesn't have a dominant team. I think there's very, very good teams. I still fully believe that Kentucky's one of the, the few teams that can win a national championship. I, I fully believe that when it comes to talent. Even though they lost to UNC Wilmington, now the question will be, what does that loss become? Does it stay a three or does it move to a quad two? I think it moving to a quad two would be a significant step towards their resume. Is that a team that can win its conference? Possibly. We hope. That'd be awesome. Now, they did lose to App State by, I believe, 30. Who App State State just beat Auburn. Exactly. So what I'm trying to say is everyone's having problems. When you look at, not everyone, but for the most part, you look across the schedule in, in college basketball slate, their names beating teams, you're like, how? Arkansas loses at Bud Walton, then turns around and beats Duke at Bud Walton. Like, that's college basketball. Duke's losing games. Michigan State started in the top five, well out of the top 25 now. College basketball is insane. And fluky. And March Madness is the flukiest way to crown the flukiest sport in existence. Like, it happens. That's how you get Aaron Harrison runs. That's how you get Brandon Knight's group making to the final four when they were counted out. Like that's how all of this stuff happens. We had John Rothstein on the show and I thought he put it better than anybody in breaking down just kind of what, how one dribble, one bounce, one rollout, how all of that could completely change the trajectory of the beginning of the John Calipari era and then flip it on its head at the end and say, they were just as close to a dynasty run in this back half of the John Calipari era as they were on the front. Like, had a couple of these misses happen, they don't win this game. And had this happened against Auburn or if this happened against, you know, K, you know whomever, K-State, whatever, all of this could have been flipped on its head in reverse. And we could be talking about how Cal has upswung the trajectory of this program, like it's fluke. It's all of it is a fluke. So that's why to say that a game on December 2nd has any bearing on what's going to happen four months from now, I'm just, I'm never going to buy it. I will never buy it. Maybe it hasn't happened in college basketball, but guess what? That's what college basketball is for. Florida Atlantic was in the final four literally six months ago. It's weird. College basketball is weird. Why, why not make this the first? Why can't Reed Shepard, be the first person, Rob Dillingham, Trey Mitchell. Why can't this group be the first one to lead the charge with that? DJ Wagner, Cal's chosen, you know, Nike's chosen son, Cal's legacy recruit. Like the the pieces are there to make history. Why not do it right now? Anyway, I digress. Oh, speaking of being speaking of being stressed, let's not be stressed out. Buying tickets, you shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets. Now is not the time for guesswork. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and the best price guarantee, Game Time does all of the hard work for you. Game Time, I don't know what's going on right now. I think Sean is in and out. and what, I'm, I'm here. 
Oh, you're good? All right, awesome. Uh, killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and the best price guarantee. Game time does all the hard work for you. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event. And even an hour after it starts, it's the place to find last-minute seats, find exclusive flash deals, and sponsored deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. With zone deals, you pick the section and game time picks the seats for an average of 18% savings. And the game time guarantee means that you will Always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and row for less. Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code KSR for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code KSR for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lower, lowest price guaranteed. Sean, we I, I got to meet somebody with myself that has used game time and enjoyed the process and loved it. And look this right here. I got, we got to experience a game time, a happy game time customer, Sean. How awesome was that? That was super cool. Especially since I've, uh, I've known them my entire life and all, all, all she wanted for Christmas was to take a picture with uh, me and you and listens to sources say every episode. And and she texts me Friday night and she's like, I'm, I'm going to be at the game tomorrow. And uh, her and her husband uh, to use the Game Time app, use promo code KSR, and got great seats, great seats right there in the corner in section thirty six at, at Rupp Arena. So definitely a, a cool experience. You and I went and had a conversation at halftime and really enjoyed it. So it's it's always fun to see people that listen to the show and people that that take advantage of, the, of these promos and things that that we promote and stuff. Yeah, shout out Tina. She's the best. I, I thoroughly enjoy talking to you and getting to meet you. But anybody can experience this with game time. It does not just have to be Tina. It can be anybody. We love our uh, our partnership with game time. They are the absolute best. And we've got a great holiday idea gift for you. How about tickets for the Kentucky versus Penn game in Philadelphia on December 9th? We know the Big Blue Nation travels or perhaps you even live in the region. Don't miss out. You can purchase purchase tickets on game time or KentuckyPen.com. The UK Penn game supports coaches versus cancer, an initiative led by the National Association of Basketball Coaches and American Cancer Society and counts Coach Cal as one of its biggest advocates. UK Healthcare's Marquee Cancer Center is a partner on the game and locally the initiative will support American Cancer Society Hope Lodge, which provides a free home away for cancer uh, patients undergoing treatment in Lexington. So shout out. Uh, to game time, shout out to that UK pen game. Make sure you make that happen with them. Sean, Bradshaw made his return. Uh, we talked about kind of the presence and, and what he did. The, 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 the positioning is still up in the air. Cal said that because of how new he is and he'd only been in a practice and a half before uh, well, he had thrown him in, in in game action, but basically said, you know, now or never, we got to get this thing rolling so you're uh, comfortable by conference play and all that. So he plays the four and the five, some ups and downs with it for sure. But, we, you know, we got to see a little bit of of, of what he's going to be able to bring. But Cal talking about uh, on his radio show Monday that he likes him at the five and says that he likes that Trey Mitchell is the better decision maker and thinks it's better suited at the four but likes the ability to have Bradshaw in the dunker spot and be able to throw lobs to him. 
um, at the five position. What do you make of that? Do you agree with you know, maybe this being a long-term plan? I know Cal, we talked extensively about him being a four and what that possibly looks like, but said he said at least until he can figure himself out. We know what Bradshaw is as a five. He can be a dunker. He can be a cleanup guy. What, you know, lob catcher. Is this what his role is going to be permanently? Or do you see that breakthrough transitioning from him as the five to the four? I honestly don't know. And I told you during the game the other day that when the two were on the floor together, I thought Trey looked confused on what he was and where he was. And I just don't think it's a coincidence that in five years of college basketball, that Trey Mitchell is not only having the best season of his career, but the best season in a number of categories. And it's not even close. Assist, you know, all of it. The, the only area of Trey's game right now that, that's kind of irritating me is late game free throws in close games. It's bizarre. That's, a, that's very bizarre, and it's becoming a problem. So he missed two free throws the other day, six of eight, and two of them were late in the game that ultimately ended Kentucky's chances of kind of trying to make a run to win the game. Did the same thing against Kansas. He missed one late against St. Joe's. Like, in Kentucky's tightest games, he's not came through at the free throw line. Like, that's got to get fixed. And his overall free throw percentage is the lowest it's been, I think, by maybe 13%. Mm-hmm. So that, that's got to be fixed for sure. But when it comes to how they play – I think leaving Trey at the five is the best decision that that Cal can make, especially offensively. What I'm hoping happens is that when Bradshaw plays, whether I don't know how many minutes he's going to play, but I want him to play the five. It's just, I just, I I just don't know. I need to see more about how those two fit together. I, I think if you work on it and you look at it, Trey sliding to the four, I think you can still do some of the similar things that you're using him and doing some things with. But I just like the spacing that Kentucky has when he's the five. I want to see if that spacing still exists in in things with Bradshaw on the floor. And probably one of the biggest misleading statistics that I've never bought into is plus minus. I think Bradshaw was plus 11 the other day. But plus minus has a lot of things that factor into it, Jack. Who's on the floor for the other team when you're playing? Is it their best lineup? Like – there's just it's a misleading stat. Like there have been guys that play poorly that end up with good plus minuses. Like it just all depends. Like there's so many things that go into that. So not saying that Bradshaw played poorly. Like what he did in the in the minutes he was on the floor, I thought it was a great debut for him. His his official first official basket's a dunk. And you could tell that like the weight of the world was lifted off his shoulders when he did it. And I, I think that you're gonna see him take steps forward each and every time he's on the floor. But this could be a work in progress for Kentucky to kind of figure out what it looks like with him. But he didn't play as many minutes in the second half because I think winning the basketball game became very important to Cal. They didn't, but he knew that Bradshaw wasn't ready for that type of game yet. And you would hope that – you would hope that maybe they get their – I'd like to, for them to win comfortably against Penn. I don't know if that's going to be the case. I mean, it's there's so many unknowns to, in college basketball. But I'd like to see him be in some situations that aren't pressure-packed right now. But then again, you play North Carolina in a couple of weeks. 
that's two weeks under your belt now by the time that game's played. What does the rotation look like? What does conditioning look like for him? Kentucky is going to go through this whole thing where it figured itself out. It's going to have to figure itself out again because you're working in a new person. I I would love for the ideal scenario to be you stagger their minutes as much as you possibly can, where if you can get it to, you know, kind of where you were able to work in, you know, Dakari Johnson and Willie Colley Stein didn't play together, but they both got enough time to show their games off. You got to have Trey on the floor as much as possible, but you also, I, I do like having a B at that, you know, cause you, I mean, we still saw him in true five out, even in limited minutes, and it was just a couple possessions, but we still got to see that where I, you know, you saw AB on the left wing where the left corner where he was in position to be in the dunker spot to step out and hit a corner three. Like that is the ideal role for him. But I do think maybe down the road, figuring out a way to stagger their minutes where you get a do in there at the four with AB or. You know, however you got to do it, you know, Justin Edwards at the four. And we and there's a lot of talk about positions and practice. Cal putting Jordan Burks at the three. He was not saying that Jordan Burks was going to play the three in games. He was saying that he was putting Jordan in at the three in practice to defend Justin Edwards to try to get the best version of Justin Edwards as a rebounder and as a defender because just Jordan works his butt off and attacks the glass and does kind of all the little stuff that we're hoping that Justin can be. It's kind of to, uh, to a kick, a kick in the butt to Justin, not necessarily saying that Jordan's going to be any type of foundational piece of the three. So, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that was, that was that big of a deal, but there, you still got some positional versatility and I don't think we have the answer to that quite yet. You're not going to find that out in a, a 12 minute debut, uh, but it was a, a nice debut. I like what we saw. I still think positions are very up in the air. And I think there's a reason why uh, Cal just kind of said, we're going to play it safe for now and figure you know, just put him in position to succeed for now. And then hope that we can kind of expand from there. And I think that's probably the, the, the best way we can do it. Now we got some movement with Uganan Yenso. And I want to get your thoughts on, on that. Um, talked about it on on the message board earlier today if you have not uh subscribed to ksr plus what are you waiting for go on and do that it's we're the conversation the moving over there we're having a blast and it's a dollar to sign up i mean there's really no excuse not to make that happen but uh we talked about their uh ugana being just a couple weeks away like they're they're he's making very nice progress the plan is for him to be ready to go here in the next couple weeks aiming for potentially even before conference play starts. So how does that change anything for you? And I've, I've heard, you know, as much as I've said that he was behind and there was a chance he was going to be the odd man out. Does anything about this dynamic right now change for you with Ugo? Um, at minimum, it's depth. It's depth. It's another body in practice where you don't have to just throw Jordan Burks in there as the small ball five or whatever. You at least got more depth, and and he is he's cruising. Things are things are moving very very nicely with uh, with Ugo. What's next? What does that mean for you? Depth. I'll I'll agree with you that depth is what it means because how I said that Kentucky had to figure itself out how to win games without a five. Now they have to figure out how to win games and close games when they have one available. 
he's a different skill set than Bradshaw. So when you get Ugo, it's a completely different guy with a different skill set that you have to blend into what you're doing. My thing and my argument is once Kentucky gets itself figured out, are you going to force trying to figure something else out by that point? I just don't know if Cal's going to go that deep unless it's necessary. So, and I know we're, we're talking odd men out and there's going to be odd men out at some point. Yeah, It's basketball. And it's, it's, it's a roster of 12 capable scholarship players. I'm just, so I'm just, so I'm buying stock in Aaron Bradshaw being a very good. When it all, when all the, when the dust settles, Aaron Bradshaw is going to be one of the five most talented players on this roster. When he, when he's in shape and he's had a number of games under his belt, he's going to be one of their better basketball players that impacts the game and impacts winning. You know, a a combination of these guards are going to be in there. Trey Mitchell is going to be in there. I just don't know that when it comes down to it, if Kentucky goes deeper than eight guys, like I'm actually starting to see this thing kind of shrink and starting to see what it looks like. I think you're going to get some changes to the starting lineup by the time conference play gets here. I don't think it's going to be anything drastic, but I think one spot will change. I think you're going to see Reed kind of become a starter, but I think you're going to see Justin maybe step his way out of the starting lineup. Just going off what we've seen, I think that's going to happen. And if it's not Reed, maybe it is Bradshaw that's starting by conference play. But I think it's Justin that maybe slides out or a do, depending on – because to me, the one lineup I don't want to see is a do at the three, Trey at the four, Bradshaw at the five, or flipped. That's a lineup I don't want to see. There's not enough spacing there ball handling there, things like that. So I do think you'll see a change in the lineup at some point to at least one spot. But overall, when it comes to Ugo, we know he can block shots. He has experience in this program, not a ton of minutes, but it does add depth that if you do have an injury or something, you've at least got some interior presence there. But I think by the time he's available, Jack, I think Kentucky would have figured out who it is and who it kind of wants to be. And I think trying to work someone else in does nothing but kind of disrupt, kind of like what we saw Saturday. We knew it was going to be disrupting when they worked Bradshaw in. But I think a lot of people just assumed that it would be a smooth transition given how Kentucky was playing. Maybe it would have been if you'd had your starting point guard. But you're not only changing one spot, you're changing two spots. Yeah, and John P. Ryan says, or slide Justin to power forward. Um I agree. And in a vacuum, I think that is the answer with so much guard talent, but it also, and I, and I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on this. We'll, we'll try to move through it quickly so we can wrap up here, here shortly. It matters more who you can guard than what you can do on the other end. You have to be able to guard your position and do it well. And is that the answer? If Justin is struggling the way he is guarding threes. Is that the answer to maybe unlock the best version of himself offensively if he's going heads up on on fours? Is that the answer? And then you do truly stagger that five spot as much as as evenly as possible with Trey and AB. Maybe you know it's not going to be twenty twenty, but something like that where it's you you get equal minutes for both of those guys. Um, you know, maybe when Justin has to sit, throw, you know, get five five minutes of overlap with, you know, A.B. at the four while Trey's at the five, but really try to get it as close to 20 and 20 as possible, that five spot. 
is that the path to the best version of Justin at, at him at the four? You know, I don't know. And I think Cal's going to have to experiment with him. And I was hopeful that Justin would have was kind of going to figure it out and kind of take steps forward before Bradshaw got back. Because now I think it's kind of even it's even harder because I think there's there's so many guys like Rob had a bad game. Rob's going to bounce back Saturday and play well yep. from what I've seen this season. Reed's going to consistently do things that impacts winning and affects the game. We've seen it. When he wasn't scoring, he's getting steals. He's getting assists. He's going to always make an impact in some category. That's why I think he's Kentucky's glue. Trey Mitchell, I think, has probably one of the highest IQs, basketball IQs on this roster. He has to be on the floor. Now that Bradshaw is working his way back, you're going to see the minutes gradually increase. Somebody is going to have to go. Jordan Burks, I think, will go. And that, that's not a knock on Jordan. Jordan's played out of position since he got here. Love that kid. Yep. I do too. And at least you know you got him if you need to go to him or if, or if, there, if there's a, an injury or something like that or an illness or whatever for a game. You know a guy that you can call on or foul trouble. Justin, to me, that this makes it really tough on him because I think it could be his that this slides back a little. Because when you got all these guards playing well, now you got another big, you could slide Trey to the four and play Bradshaw the five or flip it. But Justin just needs to build confidence here. And, and it's Jack, it's really hard when you get into that league to build confidence too because teams scout you so well because you see multiple teams twice. Like it's it's very, very hard. So I'm, I'm hoping I would I would love for Saturday to kind of be Justin's game where he kind of figures it out and starts doing some things. But defensively, whoever becomes the best five defenders on this team, I think will play the most. Like Cal's going to trust guys that defend and rebound, and I think there's a path for him to do that. I'm not writing him off, and I'm definitely not trying to be down on him. I just think that this is more to. What I'm trying to say is Kentucky has surprised me with the guys that they have playing well when I thought Justin was kind of going to be outplaying some of those other guys. This isn't a bad thing. It just kind of shows that Kentucky's got a lot of guys with a lot of talent that are playing very, very well right now that maybe his expectations were what we thought. It's not where we thought they'd be. That doesn't mean that they can't get there. It, it, I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, Drew Brown, our buddy, Big Blue Drew on Twitter, he kind of has this theory, and we've talked about it a lot in person, that the first five, six, seven games, you know, the, the first quarter-ish of the season for most freshmen, incoming freshmen, I, mean, I guess it's not even limited to freshmen, basically any newcomer making their debut at Kentucky, those that first quarter of the schedule – is essentially make or break for the the trajectory the trajectory of your career at Kentucky. Look at a guy like Scal. Had he come out and dominated the the non conference slate and looked like this world beater and had the confidence that he was, and we had talked on this show, uh, there were dudes that saw him working out in, in practice that said that he was better at that stage than Anthony Davis was. Anthony Davis came in. And Scout gave him the goods in practice that that preseason. And that's where all that optimism came from. What had happened if he had really gotten things rolling early 
and built that confidence in himself. Like, look at like Rob Dillingham, I think is the kind of the equivalent of that. Had Rob come out and really struggled with efficiency early and immediately the, the sharks would have come attacked him with the, well, we knew it wouldn't work for you. We knew the erratic stuff would take you off the floor. We knew the turnovers would kill you. Like had that happen, what would his career be? But he didn't. He was a superstar from day one, and now he can afford a loss and still a a poor performance and still maintain that level of confidence because he already has that personal equity built up with himself. He knows that he could do that on this stage against the best of the best in college basketball, and nothing is going to phase him at this point. He's already been very confident throughout his career, but there's no way it's going to tank because he has a poor performance against stupid UNC Wilmington. Who cares? Justin hasn't had that moment yet. When is too late for him? What if he does go out there against UNC and have his 25-point moment? Like, is that going to be the, the the thing that takes him off? He just kind of needs that one thing. He's We've called it kind of mini breakthroughs with him in the past, but he really hasn't had that, ah, there it is. There's your aha moment yet. And I wonder when that 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 happens and on the flip side how long is it too long before he never gets that moment kind of like scowl and some other guys that just never got that breakthrough moment we'll see i think that's going to be something we have to keep a very close eye on and i do want to add one note before we wrap up and you you can jump in right right after this but uh, everybody wants to know about z what's going on there Uh, more uh, further lack of clarity on on that even today reaching out to several different people uh, again brought this up on the board but there's just this mindset of they won't know until they know. I still think that there's a lot of kind of miscommunication about what that 45 day rule means. And like, is it 45 days of him practicing? Is it 45 days of, you know, 45 business days is because I mean, if it's just from big blue madness through that would have already expired and then, but, but he's practicing right now. So clearly there's some, something going, you know, that, that is allowing him to practice. Um, he has not been cleared yet, but they also haven't been told no yet about him. So it is just very much up in the air. I will say when I kind of asked and I'm trying to you know handle this delicately, but when asked, Hey, be real is what is the expectation for Z considering how much time he's missed? Is there still an expectation of him to come in and produce if he does get declared eligible uh, and it was a pretty consensus overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. He's, you know, yeah, obviously he's adjusting to American basketball and, you know, he's missed a lot of time. So he's not as far along as he should be or could be. But the expectation is still that he's going to produce if we can get him eligible. So that's obviously a new thing. We saw how clunky things kind of looked at times with AB when he came in. That's going to happen when Ugo comes back. That's going to happen when Z comes back and somebody's not going to play. Maybe a couple guys aren't going to play. It's it, That's the reality of this beast that is Kentucky basketball. But at minimum, you never complain about depth. You never complain, complain about shot blocking and the possibility of what that those front court additions mean for the program. So um, roundabout way of saying no update yet on, on Z, but there's still confidence that he can be a, a player for this team this year. And they're hoping we saw literally this afternoon, this evening that uh, Efton Reed at Wake Forest just got his waiver from the NCAA. So they're going through the docket. They're going one by one. It's not like they've said, okay, show's over, case closed, office is closed today. We're, we're no longer doing that. They're still going through all their options. So 
we'll see what happens. You know, I don't know because Kentucky doesn't know right now. We'll, we'll see what happens, but a lot of moving parts here, Sean. Yeah, there, there are. And the only other note I was going to add on Justin is he's getting his opportunities because he's third on the, he's third on the team in minutes played. Now I know DJ missing a half and then not playing a game certainly impacted that. Like DJ would have been probably right there is third, but third on the team in minutes played behind Antonio Reeves and Trey Mitchell. Trey Mitchell leads the team in minutes played. So he's getting his opportunities, Jack. But where I'm coming from that, and I don't want to see this, but I think it's something that we need to consider as we move throughout these big games. Penn's a big game, but North Carolina's an even bigger game for him. Like, when you get into league play, Adu has played very well in Kentucky's two biggest games. Against Miami and Kansas, I think he's showed up and he's, I think he's done a lot of good stuff. Now that you got Bradshaw back in this, here's what's to watch. We know Mitchell's going to play. We know Bradshaw's going to play. I thought Adu was going to be the guy that would lose a role. Adu's a better rebounder than Justin. And for the minutes played, Adu puts up about similar point statistics too. And he's defending harder. And assist and turnovers are kind of in the same area. He's a strong body that will finish that Justin struggles to do. I don't want to see it, but I'm just saying I thought Adu was going to be the guy lost in the shuffle. If Justin doesn't produce as you get into SEC play, it could be his minutes that suffer and roll. Because you're not – as many guards and perimeter players as Kentucky has, they're going to eat up minutes. Kentucky's not going four deep on the interior. It's going to be some combination of three. And A.B. and Trey Mitchell are going to be two of the three. Is It, it comes down to either you're good enough to play over a guard or you're good enough to play over a do. And right now I don't see either one. Well, we will see. It starts Saturday. Got to win. Got to make a statement with that one. I did like that Trey Mitchell kind of made a statement after uh, that loss and said, I feel bad for whoever we – I feel sorry for whoever we play next. I think that's a men- mentality I have. They did not come out with the mentality they needed. They lost a game that it absolutely should not have. Uh, you do not lose to UNC Wilmington. But there is plenty of runway to go. Nothing about that loss has anything to do with what this team's going to do in March. And that journey starts on Saturday. we got to win that one. Got to make a statement. It's a, it's a homecoming game. What about DJ Wagner? I know there were some fans uh, asking about DJ. I was told going into UNC Wilmington that he was going to be held out for UNC Wilmington with a plan of playing the following Saturday. But it was a real ankle turn like this was not just a tweak this wasn't just you know it it's hurting I think he's gonna try to give it a go but I cannot even I mean that that's just a kind of more of a hunch of just knowing what I knew after the injury leading up to the last game and just kind of knowing how DJ operates that he's just kind of one of those dudes that if it's a 50-50 thing he is a he makes a 51 like he's, he's just that type of dude that kind of plays through stuff like that, whether it's to the detriment of, of his own physical abilities. And if it limits him, you know, is it a, the smart decision that's for Cal to decide? Cal said that he was working out, trying to stretch it out and, and maneuver it, but said that he will not know until we get closer to game time. My hunch is yes, but I, I still think it's very, very, very TBD. Um, 
we'll see how that goes. That's that's it's a big opportunity. I hope he is, I hope he can. They scheduled this pen game specifically for guys like A B, Justin Edwards, and DJ to get a shot playing in front of their their friends and family in the Northeast. So I hope so. It's a great opportunity for him, but that is very, very up in the air. We'll see how it goes. But Sean, we're excited for us. Make good good game, good matchup, and a must win for the Cats. Yeah, and, the, and this is the part of the schedule when you lose one, it really stinks because you have to wait seven days to play again. Because this is the the Saturday to Saturday to Saturday part of the schedule. So want to get a win and then and regroup before you go into and we talked about it. Miami was a must win game because Kentucky hadn't won a game like that in a long time. Given that you just lost to UNC Wilmington, North Carolina is even bigger than what Miami was because you, you now you need it on your resume. Like you can't get through North Carolina here without it because then you're running the, the, the risk of, well, not even the risk. According to the net right now, you have nothing to show for in your non-conference. And I did not think that was going to be the case. I know you get Gonzaga in February, but you need this one. You need this one coming up in two weeks. We'll see how it goes. We'll uh, we'll be back then, hopefully, to break down a very fun and exciting game. We'll obviously be back there. Any other news uh, regarding Ugo's return, regarding Big Z's return? We're excited for both of them. No, no matter what their role is, uh, you always want guys that work their butts off to get back to a point, just like A.B. It was a really cool moment to see him check in, embrace that fan roar for the first time in Big Blue Nation. He earned it. Really, really cool moment considering all the other just the circus that went on behind the scenes leading up to this point. A lot of people that were pushing and pulling and trying to dictate what he did and when he did it and how he did it. And it's just really cool for him to kind of soak in that moment and, and get that in front of BBN. BBN, he's going to be a player. Uh, we'll see what happens with Z. We'll see what happens with Ugo. But whatever their role is, I'm excited for him to be back in practice and make an impact for this team. Whether they're making getting minutes on the floor or not, they're going to contribute to winning basketball with this program and practice especially. So let's get those guys back and let's celebrate a big win on Saturday, Saturday against Penn. Sean, where can fans find your work? You can follow me on Twitter at GBB Country. Find me on Twitter as well at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Find me on the message board, KS board. Subscribe, subscribe to the KSR Plus. There's no reason not to at this point. A dollar a month. What, what are you waiting for? Uh, you, you'll, you've got to make that happen. Uh, find us on, on KentuckySportsRadio.com with the On3 Network. We will be back next time for the Jam Pack Sources Day podcast. We will see you then.